Today we had Shelby Wood, a hockey player from Colgate University, and get to discuss her journey through hockey and her amazing experience like being a part of Team Canada, the Frozen Four, and playing at a Division I level. There were some great and inspiring stories to hear from a girl athlete's perspective. Also, if you have anything to buy through Amazon, click the link in the description and buy through there. Thanks and enjoy the podcast. Please welcome to the podcast our first ever female guest for episode 15, Shelby Wood. Hey guys. So, we'll start off, Shelby. <laughs> How's it going? What are you doing now with COVID? Um, you know, I've been up to a lot of hockey, surprisingly. Uh, we have extended our eligibility for NCAA stuff um, for the next month of May. So, we've been basically having hockey every day since I've gotten home, which has been exciting. So, I've been pretty busy with that. That's about it, really. Awesome. Yeah, so, like practices you- and all of that? Yeah. Um, it's more, so it's all on Zoom. Um, every Monday we're doing stick handling and shooting stuff. And then we actually got access to a couple of videos of like NHL stars, uh, Sidney Crosby, Kane, et cetera, that have been doing Zoom sessions with other kids. And we have the recordings of those. So we've been watching those. So essentially we've been almost on Zoom with them. Um, and then we've been doing a lot of like our own video of like stuff we did throughout the season sort of thing. So awesome. well, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely so, yeah. challenging, uh, I guess, with, like, athletes now. Like, you really have to find alternatives to, you know, keep on top of your game and, like, keep, like, your strength and training on. So, no, that's good that you're doing that, and it's awesome. Yeah, it's been fun. Okay, so let's start start in order. Where did you play growing up? Because that's something that isn't online anywhere. <laughs> um, well, for girls hockey, it might be a little bit different than guys because we're able to move around a little more easily, which might be why you can't really find any of that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but I started with the Cambridge Roadrunners for a year. I went to the Cambridge Hawks where I played boys for two years, back to the Roadrunners. And then, um, the Roadrunners no longer had the AA organization for my age group, which is the highest. We don't have AAA in girls hockey. So at that time I moved to Kitchener for three years to Oakville for a year. And then, um, I played for the Cambridge Rivulets for three years for my last three years of high school. So I moved so around you, a lot. <laughs> so you went to Oakville for your midget AA? I actually just played Bantam and then I skipped midget and played three years in the PWHL. Oh, that's pretty cool. Wow. Yeah. What was, um, what was that like joining junior or really it basically is junior. <laughs> what was that like going into junior when you should have been playing midget? Yeah, it was honestly the biggest step I've ever had to take in hockey going from Bantam to midget where the girls are suddenly, they could be a year out of high school and still playing. You can technically play until you're 21. And I was, 15 I think 15 at that point um so that was a huge transition just like speed wise size of the girls uh strength of the girls was insane um but it was actually really nice coming back to play in Cambridge where I knew everybody um the coach was Jeff Hadaway who was also also a teacher at my high school so that was really nice felt familiar and I also played with a girl um who I actually played with at Colgate for two years so it was like it was a big step, but I had a lot of people who were there that really helped me get through it and like kind of learned my way throughout it all. Cool. So that's it. Seems, how was it like, um, to adapt to that? Like, was there any things in particular that like helped you um, get up to speed with like other like players, or was there any like specific training thing that you did, or any person mm-hmm. in particular? I think what I really focused on was speed, just because I felt like that was the one thing that. I could improve on that would make a huge difference in my game. And I also think that I'll give a little shout out to NLPT, but that's when I started really seriously training there. 
um, three to five times a week. And so I think that was massive for me. Just like I was already a big girl, but I wasn't as strong as a lot of the players out there. So improving my speed, I think, and like getting my strength up to like the 18 year olds that were on the ice or the 17 year olds that were on the ice was really big to help me like find my place in that game. Yeah. Did you find, you said you played with uh, the Hawks a little bit. Um, What was (laughs) that? was interesting. It was, I was only like eight or nine, I think was those two years. So it wasn't as big a jump as it would have been as I got older between girls and boys. But I think that was probably one of the best things I did at that point for myself was just like pushing myself to play for a team. Like there wasn't hitting or anything like that, but pushing the pace of my game at that point, even at such a young age, I think was really cool. And to know like where you could be and where the guys are is like kind of like a good measure for girls. Like we always want to be as good as possible. And a lot of times like we want to be like, like the guy players, like we watch the NHL. We always want to be doing stuff like that, doing the things that the guys are doing. So I think that was really cool that I actually got to do it. Um, I think I struggled a little bit like socially, just because I think a lot of times when you're that age, you play hockey for fun and that maybe wasn't the best place for me. And I think that's really what ultimately made me change back to girls hockey. But uh, I'm so happy I played for that two years that I did. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure that'd be like a little bit intimidating, like kind of going in, like you're the only girl, right? Like you have to kind of find your space and stuff like that, which could be challenging, but I'm sure it probably made you a stronger, better player, more confident <laughs> and stuff. Right. So that's, that's yeah, cool. To absolutely. Hear. So uh, jumping into the ribs, what was it like being captain in your last year? That was exciting. I'd never been captain on any team any time before that. Um, And it was kind of cool because I think there was just so much trust between like my coaches and me and the rest of the team. I think it was really exciting um, because I had played there for three years and I I was the person who had played there the longest when I was there. Um, And just like, I feel like because... I had so much experience in the PWHL. It was really exciting to be able to like hand that experience down as a captain to the rest of the players on the team. Um, and I just, I love Jeff Hathaway. I mean, uh, <laughs> my teacher, my coach, I feel like I can go to him any, for anything. So it was pretty cool to be able to work with him in that role as well. So it was a good experience for me for sure. Yeah. And then uh, can you, for all our listeners, we have all these guys that are in the OHL and junior B and what is there's no really higher level than PWHL and, and girls junior. What is the lifestyle like? Like what's your day-to-day life? It's, it's junior, but it's not the junior you guys think of. Um, for us, the difference between it, it's way more intensive, way more practices. You have to be at the top of your game, but it's still doing the same high school stuff that you would always be doing. I feel like, The way to think of it is like if you played really high level hockey, but like still had to worry about your schooling just as much, just because for us, there's no league past that other than U sport or NCAA. So for a lot of us, it's a good starting place to figure out how to balance elite level hockey and still balance academics at the same time. Um, And so I feel like for girls, it's a really good primer for what's to come. Um, But it's not, I hope one day we're able to have something that's more similar to the OHL or other leagues like that that are junior but um for right now the pwhl i would argue is probably one of the best junior leagues for girls in canada um there are a couple out west that are very competitive as well but i do know like a lot of girls are willing to come and bill it and things like that to play in the pwhl so 
it's a growing league and I think every year it's getting better and better. And I hope one day it gets to the point where it's like, like you said, like it is junior and I like wish people would see it as the way it is. Something like that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And like, yeah, but uh, like, what's the travel like? Like, I think that's what people don't realize. Like you said, people mm-hmm. don't realize, but yeah. you're pretty far, aren't you? Yeah. So it's a, when I played, it's a 20 team league. I believe it's still the same. Um, and we travel, the furthest we go is Windsor. And then the next furthest we go is Ottawa. So for those Ottawa teams, um, my roommate right now in college, she played for Ottawa teams and almost every other weekend, they are traveling like five hours to come play. So they're, there's Kingston, Nepean, and Ottawa, which are like the three Ottawa area teams. And we play Southwest, which is Windsor. Um, and I believe there's another one on the way out towards Windsor. So those teams travel a lot. A lot of it is based in the GTA, though. So being in Cambridge was nice. I was about like halfway between all the places I needed to go. Um, but it's two games a weekend, three if you're traveling far. So like the Ottawa weekend, you'll play all three teams. Um, but it's a four-day-a-week schedule plus two games, essentially. Did you, did you enjoy the traveling part of it? Because I know, uh, speak, speaking personally from football, I know on our away games, we would love the, the feeling of going on the bus or going away, traveling to a different place to play. Did you, did you also enjoy that? For sure. I mean, the only ones we actually got to bus to typically were those faraway ones like Ottawa or Windsor. And so those were always weekends we look forward to, just like what you're saying. It's fun to be on the bus with the team and stuff like that. Um, traveling, I never found traveling to be a big issue, but I do know that when people were playing on those Ottawa teams, like they would miss three days of school like every other week just to be on the bus for those road trips. So I'm sure they might have a different opinion than I did, but I definitely enjoyed that part of the game for sure. And I mean, that's what you get to look forward to when you go to the NCAA or you go to play youth sport is like traveling all the time to do that. So again, I think it's just something that like prepares you for like how to handle that. And it's, it's a blast. I love it. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. for sure. So what was um, come, Oh, sorry. I'll go quick. Okay. Uh, I had to go off key sig. Um, it's also a little bit different though, too, when you guys are in football and it's like three or four times max <laughs> yeah. versus like Shelby's going all the time. Or like, if like when you're on the, like we would bust to a bunch of games, it's like not as special. Cause it's just kind of normal. Right. Yeah. And then Ottawa teams, like they would probably hate it. Like that would suck. Uh, yeah. McFarlane, who wasn't McFarland talked about how he would have to go like 12 hour bus rides and you'd have to rock paper scissors to get to the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it'd be very much, very, uh, very enjoyable. Um, <laughs> no, so yeah, my question was, um, what was like the process like of, of joining like Colgate? Like, um, how was like the whole like process and how did you get there? Was there any um, steps along the way that, that helped you or? Mm-hmm. So I would say my process of getting to Colgate was a little bit ne- unique just because I played with Julia Van Dyke for one year on the Rivulets and she was a goalie who also played at Colgate. And because she was committed to Colgate, when she was playing for the ribs and I was playing for the ribs, we always made an effort as a team to like go and tour a U.S. school and sometimes even play that U.S. school. Um, so when I was in grade 10 and Jules was in grade 12, we went and we toured Colgate and we played against Colgate. And at that point, um, the head coach saw me play and that's kind of when communication between us started. Um, it's a difficult process because at grade 10, you don't even know really what you want to do with your life. You're trying to figure out whether you even want to take science next year in grade 11. 
And suddenly you're being asked like what you want to take in university and where you want to play and where you want to live for the next four years. And I think that it was a challenging experience just because there are so many things that you just don't even understand yet. Um, but I think the reason that I ended up at Colgate was because they made that transition so easy for me probably. And, um, just like the feeling you get when I was even just at that school the first time touring and playing against them and just, it's cheesy to say it, but you just like know when you step on campus for the first time that you feel at home there. And that's exactly what happened. Um, and I fell in love with the coaching staff. Uh, we had a brand new rink being built for my first year coming in. It was just like all the right things happened at the right time for me. And I really lucked out that way. Um, and so once that communication started in grade 10, there are a lot of rules that prohibit you from speaking to coaches. Um, and so I had to do a lot of the reaching out and I ended up visiting again, talking with the coaches constantly. And then I think it was December of my grade 10 year, I committed to Colgate. So what year would that be? 2015, I think. Okay. <laughs> I think that's early that. for early. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's great. And that's, it's really cool. Yeah. So they put some rules in place since then to kind of stop the really, really early commits just because it got to the point where girls were committing almost before they even got to high school sort of thing. Um, and so the NCAA has tried to stop that a little bit. And there have always been ways around rules and things like that. Um, but I think it's really good that they've put in these new rules that make it later in your high school career that you start committing just so that you have a little bit more of an idea of what you want to do. But mm -hmm. even though I committed so early, I think that's still the best decision I've made. So, What do you think your, um, yeah, your view on that? Because I think... Like personally, from like an outsider's perspective on that, I kind of find that a little bit too early um, because I think from like a, what I know as when people commit, it's usually like right after high school, like your grade 12 year where you've had all this time to really kind of think of what you want to do. So when you're committing, like you said, at grade 10, that's a, yeah, you're, that's really early in the decision-making process, like you, you'd kind of think, Oh, what if I made a mistake or what if another offer comes that would have been better? Like, I know for your perspective, you really, uh, you're happy with Colgate, which is amazing. Mm -hmm. But, um, I'm just thinking for some other people as well. I think it from like, as an outsider, it, it seems a little bit as a, an early stage. Yeah. I think exactly what you're saying is why the NCAA has put in rules to change that. Um, the only thing that we did have going for us and like my age group that really did commit very early was that this was just a verbal commitment. So nothing was signed until the end of grade 11 oh, okay. um, sort of thing. So, or might have been I think that is 12. the rule. Too. Yeah. All so, grade 11. Yeah. Okay. So there was nothing like pen on paper, like this is my contract contract, <laughs> but like there was nothing like making it so that it was very difficult for me to leave. Um, which was nice. I just, at that point I was being asked, like, what do you want to do with your undergraduate degree? And I was like, my, my what? Like, I don't know what that <laughs> yeah. is. Right. And so I a hundred percent understand. And I think a lot of it probably was my parents pushing me in a direction um, that they kind of knew would be the best fit for me. I don't even think I realized it at that time, but I think I had really good directions from my parents. And so I think that was really helpful, but I agree that at grade 10, like, you don't know what you want. You don't know where you want to live. Like it's a hard choice I to make. To, who knew I wanted to go to school like five hours away? Like, did I want that? Did I want to be close to family? So yeah. it's definitely early and I'm sure 
some people, I know people who decommitted and recommitted to new schools just because as they got older, they knew that maybe that place wasn't the best for them. I don't know if I could like recommend anything to people like going through the process is just take your time and don't feel pressured whatsoever. Because if they, if they want you at the end of the day, like they're willing to wait for you to make that decision. And so I think the rules are helpful for that, but I think it's, you kind of get told that you need to make a decision and you need to make it quickly. And that's just, it's not the case. So. Yeah. Fair enough. I think uh perfect time before we get into detail on your Colgate career, uh, let's talk about team Canada playing for team Canada. What, what was the experience like? That was arguably like the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, <laughs> I think at the time I played U18 and so I was 16 and 17 when I was first involved with the program. I don't even think I really understood like how big of a thing it was that I was accomplishing, accomplishing there, but that was insane. Um, I'm not sure if you guys know how the process really works. Like, do you want me to talk about how yeah, you yeah. that sort of thing? Yeah, okay. please give a brief. That'd be awesome. <laughs> yeah, so... Under 18, they usually take two age groups, so you'll probably be 16 or 17 when you go. I got invited for the first time when I was 16. They invite you to a May strength and conditioning camp. You don't even bring your hockey equipment. It's purely let's see how athletic you are sort of thing. And I just got destroyed by the fitness testing. I was nowhere near where I wanted to be, needed to be. I was basically told that if I could not get my beep test score up, my strength up, anything like that, that I didn't have a chance with the program. Um, So I went home (laughs) and I went to NLPT and I was like, this is what we need to do. Um, And so I luckily got invited back the next year and I found out, you find out these things as you go through the process that there are ways to get auto invites back to the next camp. And one of those ways was to get an 11 on the beep test and to do the average number of chin-ups. So I went back to that next May camp when I was 17, got my 11 on the beep test, did enough chin-ups and got the conditional invite to the next camp. So that year, my second year, I made it to the August selection camp. That one is 10 days long. They do almost the exact same fitness testing again, but then they also do um, like a camp game thing. So usually two teams, we play against each other. Other times we also play against like a U sport all-star team. So they'll bring in the best players from U of T, Ryerson, et cetera. We'll play against them. Um, and so after that, I made that team. So after the August camp, they make a series team and you either stay in Calgary or you go to Lake Placid and you play a three-game series against the U.S. So I made that team. I stayed for the series in Calgary and pretty sure we lost to the U.S. in that series, which that was too bad. But um, after that, they kind of send you home. There really isn't any like award or anything for playing in that series other than you get to say that you made that team that one time. But after that, they start to reevaluate basically every single player that they invited to that first camp in May. And so you wait until, I think it's December, to find out if you're going to make the world's roster. So from August to December, they're making a whole bunch of decisions on whether they want to invite you back. Um, and so in December, I got a call saying I had been invited to play on the world's roster. And so in January of 2017, uh, we flew to Prague and we played in Zlin which is also in the Czech Republic for Worlds. And we lost to the U.S. in the final game, which was tough, but that was an unreal experience. Like, I never thought I'd be able to go overseas to play hockey, and that was what I got to do, so. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, no, that sounds crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wow. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, we talked to Lennox, uh, Tristan Lennox about he played for the men's U18. They were basically just one camp and mm-hmm. you're gone, but that's a crazy progress. And what was it actually like playing in Czech Republic? Insane. I mean, it's awesome because you know that there's that rivalry between you and the U.S. And we got to play the U.S. twice. And those games were <laughs> insane. Just like all the U.S. parents, all the Canadian parents, like very solid crowd. And it was just I mean, it's like what you dream of doing as a kid. Like, I have a photo of me on the ice with a Team Canada jersey on when I'm, like, four years old. And, like, the first time you get to put that on and you're, like, sitting in, like, Zlin, Czech Republic about to go on the ice, like, (laughs) I'm getting goosebumps thinking about it. Like, it's just the coolest thing that you'll ever get to do. It's, like, a dream come true. Yeah, that sounds amazing. It kind of sounds like like an emotional experience, too, of, like, being able to represent your country. Absolutely. I mean, like we're Canadian like that's what we want to do <laughs> it's like what yeah. we're born like taught, <laughs> yeah. like let's wear the maple leaf and I got to do that and so I mean there's nothing more you could ask for yeah for sure well, congratulations a little bit thank you that's right. awesome so um yeah, yeah I just kind of want to move on so we talked to to Lennox and um he said that he was like waiting for like three hours or something like that in the hotel room so like what was your experience like <laughs> um like getting that that call or yeah. So four months. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, sorry. for the in August we do the hotel room thing that he was talking about. Oh, okay. Um, so that one is you pack up your suitcase, you sit in your hotel room, and you're either sent to like the bus to go home or to the airport, or you're told that you've made the team and like go wait in this conference room. Right. And I swear the first year that I made it to August camp, I swear I was the last person, like the last hotel room to get picked. I think I probably sat there for close to three hours too. And they get you up at like 6am, like breakfast is at 630 and the process starts. And I think I got out at like 10 maybe sort of thing. And you're sitting there with your roommate, you want to sleep, but you're too nervous. You're waiting for a knock at your door just for them to come get you. And then you just get walked into a room and you either see the envelope that says that you're getting sent home and these are the reasons why, or you're told you made the team. So it's just, it's nerve wracking. Yeah. And I just, I can't even explain like what that feeling is. You got to get to your flights on time. If you're going home, I think is the real reason yeah. to do it. So, um, so now since we got through all those, that, that crazy story, let's hop into Colgate and you talked about the Riz being the b- biggest adjustment you ever made, but what was the adjustment going into division one hockey? Mm-hmm. I think it's a lot of the same things because you go in there again and suddenly you're 17 or 18 and you're playing against 22 year olds. I had a girl on my team who was a 95 and she was four years older than me, but only in her third year. So that's true against the people you're playing against too. Um, So I think that transition again is just like the speed and sheer talent of the girls. Suddenly you're playing against people from all over Canada and the U S plus anywhere else. Like we've had, Czech Republic, we've had um, Switzerland just on my team alone. So you're suddenly playing against the best from all around the world, essentially. And that's a big step. I mean, I think that because of my experiences with Team Ontario and Team Canada, I had a lot of experience of playing at that fast pace and with those girls who are so strong and so talented. And so I kind of lucked out in that way. But that transition was also a really big one for me. Was it ever like a culture shock kind of like playing different teams? Like, did you like pick up notes of like how there was like different, like different way they played the game or was it kind of similar 
like as a whole kind of no I think you're absolutely right like there are teams like three years since my first year that like still play and run the same systems and you can expect the same type of game from a lot of these teams even as their players change every year um and I also think you start to understand the rivalries with the teams that you have like when we play Clarkson or we play Cornell those are like the most physical toughest fastest games that we're going to probably play all year and so I think you just start to come to expect that from certain teams and it's a lot of fun would you would you say the physicality in college uh goes up because a lot of people don't realize how physical like they stereotype and don't realize how physical girls hockey is but it is really physical and did you notice yeah I think for sure I've had people watch my games because they're live streams and things like that and people are like so you're not allowed to hit and I'm like no that's not hitting like technically it's like rubbing out is what we're doing um and so I think that the games are way more physical for sure and it's a a lot more leniency from the refs too I think that are they're more willing to be like you know what like that was safe it wasn't like a dirty hit or anything like that like let the girls do it so I for sure think that they're definitely more physical than what you experience in the PW do you like or would as as a player do you like when there's hitting for sakes? I know we've talked to a lot of the other guys and they they enjoy it, especially um, an episode that hasn't came out yet, but uh, with Brzezinski, Kyle Brzezinski, he's, a, he's kind of like a, a fighter. Um, but he, we've all kind of had a bunch of conversations about how how hitting is good per se in certain situations. And would you would you agree with that? I think it's hard for me because like I'm five, nine, I'm one of the bigger girls on the ice. So I'm, I would be totally okay with hitting being implemented in women's hockey. But <laughs> I look at one of the girls I live with, like she's five, one. And Ooh. if like, that's a big height difference. Yeah. And I understand why there isn't hitting in women's hockey. Um, I think it allows us to play a faster, cleaner game that we wouldn't be able to play if we did have hitting. And so I really enjoy that the refs have started to allow more contact and more physicality. Do I think hitting is where we need to go with it? Probably not just because of it limiting a a good number of girls who are able to play in the game, I think, and do it safely. Um, So personally, I don't think I would mind it, but I was just lucky (laughs) enough to be (laughs) one of the bigger girls on the ice usually. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I agree with that too. And I think this will never happen or anything, but like, I don't think hitting's a necessary thing in hockey. Like, it will never happen, but I think you could take it out, and I think it shows in women's hockey that they do have a bit of a lenience, but it's more skill-based, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, And I think don't... even hitting in guys' hockey has started to, like, decrease yeah. over time. Like, I agree. I don't think it'll ever get taken out just because people want to, like, fans want to have it in hockey. But, yeah, 100%, like, I think it's slowly decreasing over time, the, the need for it almost. Right, yeah, it's more like a commercialized thing. Like, and it just <laughs> yeah. hits, you know, it's kind of like that. But um, since, sorry, can I hop in quick, Nate? Yeah, yeah no, you uh, go ahead. Since we are on this topic, we, I, we didn't plan on talking about this hitting or anything like that. But why, like, um, you talk about how aggressive and the concussion rates higher in girls, like, pretty significantly and playing, like, not obviously none of us have played in that. Like, why, I don't know what, why do you think that maybe is or, what do you mm-hmm. think about it? Well, I'm a neuroscience major, so, like, bear with me for a second. <laughs> but there have been studies on, like, girls who have been doing headers in soccer versus guys. And girls are actually, like, 
just as likely, if not more likely to get a concussion from the same type of like impact sort of thing. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure that's the study that I read. (laughs) And so I think girls in general might be just like more susceptible to it. Um, But I also think that because there isn't hitting when it happens, we're not in the right positions and ready for it. So like, makes sense. if I have my back turned and you hit me, I'm not expecting that. I'm not in a position to like defend myself, stop myself from falling. Like, it's just not something that I've ever been prepared for. And so I think that probably has a lot to do with it as well. It's just like, we're not used to it. So we're not ready for it. Yes. Good point. uh, Yeah. I don't want to jump like too far, but how is like the D one kind of lifestyle? Like, is it, because I mean, I'm sure like so many athletes like dream to to go to you know play for a D1 um, division or D1 school. So how was how's that like? What's your day to day kind of like? Yeah. Um, so at Colgate, we have classes that run from 8:30 to 4. So from that time, we have no hockey. There's nothing going on until at least 4:45. It allows us time to get down to the rink, get prepared, and get on the ice. Um, so for me, I usually have two or three classes a day within that time frame, and then. A typical day will be, we'll also, we'll lift usually at like 4.45 sort of thing. And then we'll practice at 6.30 or we'll flip it. We'll practice at 4.45 and lift right after sort of thing. Um, and so typically two lifts a week, four practices. And then on Thursdays, you leave for your road trip. Or if you're at home, you'll go to class and stuff on Fridays. Um, so it ends up being two games, four practices, typically two lifts. And that's basically true for almost every team in the league um occasionally you'll play a game like midweek but that'll always be against a a nearby team so for us that could be um Syracuse University we play sometimes on like a Tuesday um but it's it's a grind it's you start at 8 30 and sometimes I don't come home for dinner until nine o'clock at night and I it's just learning to balance school life hockey and then anything else you want to throw into the mix um because you're also there to get the, the Colgate experience, right? So you want to be involved in those clubs. You want to be in those organizations that get to do stuff. And then you want to be a good hockey player and a good student. Um, so I think the, the D1 lifestyle is just like being able to time manage everything and just put 100% to everything, even though it might not be possible to put 100% into everything that you love doing. Right, yeah. Well, that's tough. And it certainly takes a certain certain person to do all those things right so yeah that's awesome good to hear what would what would you say the coolest slash farthest place you go on the road is uh for frozen four we flew to minnesota which was cool and then last year we also flew to minnesota again to play them just as non-conference games um the furthest we go for a road trip like in the bus sort of thing is i believe our princeton and quinnipiac uh road trip that one is eight hours ish, I think. Um, and that one's tough because Princeton's in New Jersey and then Quinnipiac's in Connecticut. So the, the trip between the two schools that you play back to back is also far. Um, so that one is a grind of a road trip. But I honestly think my favorite road trips are the ones that are against our uh, our rivalries, which are our closest schools. So Cornell and Clarkson are really fun ones to do too. Yeah, I think that's perfect time to hop into the Frozen Four too. Obviously, Clarkson. <laughs> can you, let's we might as well take us through the whole experience because the Frozen Four is obviously a huge deal. So, what was that like, like flying out there and stuff like that? Yeah, I think that one was so cool just because it it was my freshman year. 
Um, you kind of come in with no expectations. Uh, the seniors on my team that year, their freshman year, they won seven games. And the eighth game that they won was against the Cambridge Rivulets. So they were not a team that was winning or anywhere near 500. And to flip that around in four years and end up at the Frozen Four for their final year was insane. And just to be a part of that and just know that like you got to do that with them and for them was insane. Um, and then flying out there, I'd never flown other than to check to play a game before. So that was a whole new experience as well. And like packing your bags onto the plane and things like that was all cool. Um, and then getting there, it's just like a surreal experience. Um, it's kind of one of those things that you also watch growing up and like you find out that you're going to play NCAA hockey and suddenly that becomes like the next goal of yours is to make it to the Frozen Four. Um, I think the coolest experience was probably like sitting in our locker room when we got the uh, bid for the top eight. And so you find out who you're playing and it's just like a live draw on TV. And so that was a really cool experience as well, just to like hear your name called on TV and be like, you guys are going to play in the NCAA championship. Um, I guess once we were in Minnesota, the semifinal was nuts. Uh, we wanted to double overtime. It was a 94 minute game. I just remember standing on the bench. I, I don't remember the game. I'm not going to lie to you. I have no recollection whatsoever, just pure exhaustion. But I remember standing there and I couldn't sit down because I knew that if I sat down, I wouldn't be able to stand back up. And I knew that if I stood up straight, like my knees kept buckling on me. So I was just like hanging onto the bench, just doing everything I could to like stay in the game. And in that, in the 94th minute, a girl on our team who we didn't even know whether she was going to dress or not because she was having such bad back injuries she scored her third goal of the game and that was just nice. nuts. Like that was wow. the coolest thing ever. Um, we kind of made it a goal of ours like halfway through the season to play on March 18th and the final game of the year, the national championship game was on March 18th. And at that second, like we found out that we were going to be playing in that game that we decided halfway through the year that we wanted to be playing on. And that was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. Well, man. I know it might be tough to talk about, but uh, what about the final game, obviously? <laughs> yeah, um, that one was exciting just because you know the rivalry between Clarkson and Colgate. Um, that has been ongoing for my entire career now. Um, and just like being able to stand there and like even hear your name announced for like the championship game of the season was just an incredible experience. Um, Again, I feel like I barely remember these games just because it's like pure adrenaline the whole time. I do remember I was on the ice for the goal against in overtime that made Clarkson win the game, which was tough. Um, but just like to say you got there is just like, that's what we wanted to do. Like March 18th was the day we wanted to be playing on and that's what we did. And so it was tough that we couldn't beat Clarkson, stop them from re repeating um, that year and like win that for our seniors who won seven games their freshman year, but still just like to say that I got there and like, that's just like the, the best thing that you can do. And I don't know. I just, again, it's like one of those emotional things where you're like, I can't believe I got to do that in my hockey career at some point. Cause so many people just, they just don't get the opportunity to do so. Yeah. That's pretty surreal. Yeah. And I hate, I hate to backtrack, but when you're talking about it, uh, it brought up a great point. Could you explain to everyone listening that, um, people here aren't necessarily familiar with what. how do you get into the Frozen Four? You said the drawn, like, what's the pathway to get there? It's a confusing process, 100%. But throughout the year, 
um, there is a top 10 ranking and coaches, anyone who's anything in hockey kind of votes on who should be in that top 10. And you have this thing called RPI, which it's confusing to explain, but like if we lose to a really good team, but then that really good team beats an even better team, it looks better that we lost to them because they do well against good teams too. So that's kind of like how your RPI moves up and down. Um, and so top eight get a bid to the, um, like to the tournament in general. Um, so the people, the teams who make that top eight ranking out of that top 10 are the ones who get bids. Um, and then at that point, one plays eight, two plays seven, et cetera. And whoever is the higher ranking team host. So that year we got third place bid, I believe, and we played Northeastern. And so uh, we hosted them, we beat them, which then sent us to uh, the Frozen Four. And then again, it's just the top ranked teams, one place four, two place three. So we ended up playing Wisconsin in that semifinal game, one in double overtime. And then that was how we got to um, the championship game against Clemson. That's a crazy experience, holy. <laughs> yeah. And the sure. process is nuts. I try to understand it and explain it. And I feel like sometimes I still don't even really understand where they get the numbers from. But just yeah. to hear your name called in the top eight, like that's what you want to hear. That's so the most that important thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, yeah, kind of wrapping it up in a way, but what what do you see yourself doing next? What's the, what has the future in store for you? That's a tough question. Um, I don't know if you guys have been keeping up with professional women's hockey at all, but it's kind of in a really precarious position right now where there's still a league that you can play in, but there's also a players association that has formed that is essentially resisting playing in the league so that we can get a league where women are paid enough to live a life as a professional women's hockey player and not have to play as like a working person or as a mom trying to do all three things at the same time. Um, and so I don't know exactly where I want to do what I want to do. I also know that I would love to go to Europe and play a year there. Um, and my roommate and I have discussed that there are professional leagues there as well, but I also want to support this group of women who's like willing to put aside their dreams of playing professional women's hockey to try and get us a league that is really viable as like a life long career path sort of thing. So my answer is I don't really know, but probably one of those two options, either Europe or hopefully putting myself within that players association and just trying to see what we can do for women's hockey in the future. That's amazing. Do you have any, uh, if there's anyone listening right now who, was in your spot before you made it to Colgate. Do you have any advice for them right now listening? Like for girls in high school sort of thing? Yeah. 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 Um, I think the biggest thing that you can do to like get you where you want to go with your sport is just understanding what you're good at. I think a lot of times um, players get so focused on like all these things that they they struggle with and they always want to work on those things that are their weaknesses and you need to do that too. But I think what gets you really far in high level hockey is excelling at what your role is on a team. Um, and so I know that some things that people struggle with a lot is like 
in the PWHL, you might have been one of the top players on your team and suddenly you go into the NCAA and that's no longer true. But I feel like if you are willing to put the work in and do what you are supposed to do for that team. So if you're a goal scorer, like that's your thing. For me, I'm a stay at home to like that's what I'm going to do. And so I think a lot of people like just get so worked up about that. And so I would just say like, know what you're good at and just like keep building on that. And just another thing is like, don't feel pressured to go anywhere or make any decisions too quickly. I think that's another thing that gets to be a problem in high school, especially with the way that commitments have been happening for women's hockey. So that's what I would say. Awesome. Perfect. Thank you so much. And Thank you so much for coming on and sharing all these amazing stories. It's really yeah, cool thank you. Yeah, to get a whole un- another's perspective on things as well. Yeah, well, thanks for having me. I'm glad you guys are interested and want to talk about women's hockey. That's awesome. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure.